Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to have suffered many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. 
Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, priests stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Do you ever doubt it when someone says that they've forgiven you? You know, you've done something wrong and you realize and you go to them and you say you're sorry and they say, I forgive you. But then you're wondering, have they actually forgiven me? Maybe it wasn't real and, and the way they behave to you shows that it, that it wasn't real. You know, they, uh, they keep bringing it up again and they're, and they're sort of bitter about it. And then they, and they, they treat you mean and, and the friendship's never quite the same. Maybe it was real forgiveness, though, and the problem is with us. You know, the way we behave shows that we don't, uh, we don't believe it. We, um, we sort of retreat from that friendship. We're, we're always a little uh, awkward around them now. And, you know, they just want us to be their friends, but we can't quite do that. Or maybe we're the one who keeps bringing it up again and again. You know, we keep on saying sorry and, and trying to make it up to them, but, but they've said that they've forgiven us. You see, I think forgiveness becomes a matter of trust. What they've said is is sort of a promise to us, isn't it? I won't hold that against you anymore. But the question is, will we believe it? Well, today we're thinking about forgiveness from God, won for us by Jesus, and how we can believe that it is real. How we can live now knowing that we've been forgiven, certainly, completely, fully forgiven. You see, God won't undermine forgiveness by his behavior, and we needn't either. Now, if you remember, we're in the middle section of of this letter called Hebrews, uh, and this middle section is all about how Jesus is our great high priest and this is the final passage in that section and we've seen already haven't we that he is uh, gentle with us as a high priest and we've seen that he's he's 
perfect and permanent. And we've seen that he's bringing in a new covenant. And this new covenant actually works. So look at 9 verse 15, the start of our passage. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's, that's heaven, that's the world to come, and it's actually available. The old covenant couldn't really bring this about, but the new one can. And how? Because now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. It's all been achieved by his death. His sacrifice for us. And this whole passage that we're going to see is explaining this idea. It's long, but I don't think it's too complicated. And it's one idea, and it's said a few times in a few different ways. And here's what I think it is. The big idea, it's all done. Forgiveness has been won. You see, Jesus is the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. And he died just once. And now forgiveness is available for us all. It's once for all. It's all done. Forgiveness has been won. Well, let's look and, uh, and see how this is explained here. The main explanation is in verses 16 uh, to 28 of chapter 9. It begins with a step back, uh, comparing wills and covenants. And the similarity is that both need a death to, uh, to begin you know, wills, they come into action when the person who's made the will dies. And covenants, they also begin with a death. You know, sacrifice is made to seal everything. So, verse 18 onwards, the old covenant with Moses, it began with sacrifices and lots of blood. When you read it in Exodus, if you've done that, uh, you see there's sort of, it seems a bit much. There's sort of blood sprinkled everywhere. You know, blood sprinkled on the scrolls and, and with the law in and on the people and on the tabernacle, on everything inside. And the reason, verse 22, because all these things need cleansing. Cleansing from sin, which, which doesn't happen with water, but with blood. A sacrifice is needed at the start of a covenant with God to bring forgiveness for all the sins of the humans involved. You see, how could we come into this relationship with God when we've still got all our sins? And it's just the same with the new covenant as well. Jesus' new covenant, verse 23, a sacrifice is required to cover our sins, to, be, to purify everything. But the differences come... In verse 24, it's not, uh, it's not the earthly tabernacle, it's the heavenly one. And verse 25, and this is the crucial idea, it's only one sacrifice. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. You know, as if Jesus had to keep on coming year after year, you know, to, to die and rise and die and rise and, and die and rise every year. It would be absurd. No, he only has to do it once. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once 
to take away the sins of many. So in Jesus' new system, it's the same. A sacrifice is required, but it's different because it's just one sacrifice. And that one sacrifice is enough to bring about salvation for the whole world. You know, he has so much credit in his bank that he can pay off all our debts. It's not, you know, no need for monthly payments. It's all done. Forgiveness has been won. Now he will actually come back. End of verse 28. But it's not to repeat another sacrifice. It's to complete salvation. To bring us into that new world. If you are in any doubt about whether your sins have been forgiven, there is no need. Jesus has died for them. Once for all, his death covers your sins. I guess there might be some here with us uh, who are new, perhaps some online who are just sort of checking things out. Well, look, this is uh, uh, the really central idea in the Christian message. The main problem in the world, it's not climate change, it's not inequality, it's not racism, though they are all serious problems. The main problem that we all face is that we are under the judgment of God. Because of our sins, our rejection against him. Um, But the solution is Jesus offering up himself in our place. Though innocent, he steps into the dock and takes our guilty verdict. Though deserving life, he steps into the gallows. And takes our death penalty. If you're trying to understand Christianity. This is where to start. He died for us. He gave his life. As a ransom for many. And the point here. Is that he only needed to do it once. For the rest of the passage, I think we get four more angles on this, on this same idea, other ways of showing that it's true, other ways of helping us appreciate it. First, uh, 10 verses 1 to 4. I think what we see here is that the repetitive nature of the old old system showed that it wasn't effective. You know, it was repeated endlessly year after year. And, and if, it, if it had won them forgiveness of sins, they could have stopped. But it didn't, so they had to carry on. And you see, this the Old Testament system, it was never designed to, to really save them from their sins. Because how could animals pay the price for humans before God? Rather, it was a reminder of sins and a shadow of what was to come. You, really, the, those Old Testament believers, as they were coming to make their offerings, they should be thinking, yes, I'm a sinner and I can't wait for the salvation this is pointing forwards to. In verses 5 to 10, I think the same point is made by, by quoting from Psalm 40 and saying that these were the words for Jesus and that he, he does two things as he says these, these words himself. First, he sets aside the old system, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. And then he establishes the new system, which is himself, a body you prepared for me. It was Jesus' body 
Not the body of all those animals. It was Jesus's that saves us. His sacrifice once for all would bring us forgiveness of sins. And that verse 10 is what has happened. We have been made holy. In 11 to 14, he compares how the the old priests, they sort of stayed standing, whereas Jesus sat down. If you were here a few weeks ago, you remember I told a story about when I was a security guard. And the point was that I was standing all day, but when I was done, I could sit down. When we've finished our work, we can sit down. And the Old Testament priests, you know, as they were going around in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, you know, they had so much to do. There were more and more offerings. It would be unimaginable for them to take a chair into the most holy place and have a sit down. But Jesus made his offering and then went and sat down at the right hand of God because his sacrifice was effective. His work was done. And finally, verses 15 to 18. This is back to the big quotation from Jeremiah, if you were with us last week. The big quotation that's uh, promising a new covenant. First, we get the reminder that he's going to heal our hearts in the new covenant. But then it's this final line, verse 17. Their sins and lawful, lawless acts I will remember no more. The new covenant is about real forgiveness of sins. And so he gives his closing statement, verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And it's as if he's saying to the, the, the believers at the time, uh, that temple in Jerusalem, that can just close down now. It's not necessary anymore. You know, those sacrifices, we don't need to repeat them anymore. It was all pointing forwards to Jesus and and Jesus has done his thing now. It's all done. Forgiveness has been won. Friends, this is the wonder of the cross of Christ. When I was a trainee down at a church in London, we'd have these uh, school visits. Kids from the primary school would come in and the game we'd play with them was asking them to count how many crosses they could find around the building. We'd sort of set them off and, and they'd soon realize there were so many. You know, they'd get the first one, you know, the cross up on the table at the front. But then they'd start seeing them all over the place in our windows and on the end of our pews and on the kneelers and, you know, on that cloth on the table and even on our notice board outside. You know, crosses everywhere. We've got crosses everywhere to remind us of the cross of Christ. The very heart of Christianity, the climax of history, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he gave his body as a ransom for many, he paid the price for us all. One moment which brings salvation across history. One moment which never needs repeating again. It's all done. Forgiveness has been won. So what does this mean for us today? Perhaps could we think about what we do when we're aware of our sins? What do you do when you you become really aware of your sins? If you're aware of your sins right now, perhaps... Well, as I thought about this week, I thought there's, there's perhaps three different types of responses people might make. Sometimes we feel really guilty 
You know, like when we just can't forget our sins, even sins from, from well in the past. Or, or our present sins, they just consume our thoughts. The, the shame of them fills us up. You know, that, that thing that you wish you'd never done. That thing which you dread coming out. That thing which makes you feel dirty inside. You know, if people knew this about me, they'd hate me. And God does know this about me. How is he ever going to accept me? Sometimes we feel really guilty. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Sometimes we try to make it up to God. This is what some people do. Our culture is big on this. We want to pay people back. In general, if someone does something for us, we sort of think, what can we do back for them? But in particular, if we've wronged someone, then we're thinking, how can I make it up to them? You know, we're desperate to try and find a way to, to pay them back, to, to make up for what we've done, to earn our forgiveness. And so you see husbands, you know, walking along with flowers to say sorry and, and doing more jobs around the house and, and in this attempt to make up for their mistake. And it happens in a Christian sense too. We sin and we respond in a, in a way of trying to sort of make it up to God. And, and we have this time of maybe fervent prayer. You know, we get down on our knees to pray like we've never done before. And, and, we're, and we're really saying sorry. And, and then we follow up with this burst of good deeds. We're, we're diligent again in reading the Bible and praying. And, and we offer to serve in some way at church. And you know, it's what we do sometimes. But look, the reality is, that's us presenting our offerings again to God. It's us making sacrifices. And just like the Old Testament sacrifices, we go through it again and again. We sin again. We feel guilty again. We, we make it up to God again. And, and the repetitive nature of it all shows that it doesn't work. Sometimes we try to make it up to God. Maybe that's you. Maybe one other response. Sometimes when we become aware of our sin, we downplay it. We excuse it. We ignore it. It's not a big deal. It was, you know, it was a mistake. I was stressed. I was tired. They provoked me. Whatever the reason, uh, the point is, God will just allow it. God will understand it. This is where I'd be. This is, this is how I respond. But I want to say to us today that because Jesus has died for our sins once for all, none of those responses are right. None of those really believe in forgiveness. There's a better way, the way of faith. When we believe that Jesus really has paid for it all and forgiveness is real, then we can respond differently. Instead, we can acknowledge our sins to God and, and be assured of complete forgiveness. You know, we, we, we acknowledge them and we're honest about them. We're frank about what was going on in our hearts to God. And, but then we claim the blood of Jesus and we can know that we are forgiven. And how do we know that we are forgiven? Because God says so. It's very clear here, those who claim the blood of Jesus for themselves are completely forgiven. But it's a matter of faith, isn't it? Because, because there's nothing to see, there's no certificate, there's no altar with a load of blood on it for us to go to. It's believing in the promises of God, in his word. 
that Jesus is enough to bring us forgiveness. So when sin happens, approach God with confidence, with due humility and with sorrow, but with confidence because you know that with Jesus you are forgiven. You know, and later when those, the guilt rises up again, you're, you're, the shame of it, well, you can send it away. You can call upon the word of God and you can speak truth to yourself. And you can say, Jesus has washed me clean. I don't need to feel guilty anymore. And don't try to make it up to God. He's not looking for that from you. Just confess your sins to God and say, thank you for forgiveness. And receive it from him like a little child. You see, we're people who believe in forgiveness. Our culture doesn't really believe in forgiveness. You know, just think of the way our culture responds when, uh, when we discover the past sins of famous people, you know, or, or we you know, sort of historic tweets, that sort of thing. We discover some bad thing and the news and social media it sort of goes into overdrive and, and people are putting out statements and condemning things and, and people are, you know, people are saying how bad it is. And, look, and there's, there's, it's good in the sense that our culture clearly still cares about right and wrong. You know, we look for purity in our leaders. But there's no chance of forgiveness for them. Because the person in question, they will always, almost always say sorry. They'll admit that what they did in the past was wrong. They regret it. They wish they hadn't done it. But, but that's not enough. They have to accept being dropped from the cabinet or their TV show or, or the sports team. They have to bear their punishment. That's how our culture deals with sin. But we know about forgiveness. We believe in forgiveness. God has forgiven us through Jesus. And look, clearly this will have ripple out effects in our church life, won't it? Here we can confess our sins to one another. And and here we can forgive sins as well. You know, our culture can't, but we can. We know forgiveness of sins, and so we can forgive one another their sins. As we close, may I ask, what is Jesus saying to you today? By his spirit, is there something that he's putting on your hearts? Do you need to hear again this assurance of forgiveness? Do you need to be told to confess something, something you need to bring to God? Or is it a challenge to forgive? Just take a moment of silence now to think on this. What is Jesus saying to you today? Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Friends, this is true. Though you cannot see it, please believe it. He came once and he has won forgiveness for you. He's coming again and he will complete our salvation. Jesus is worth sticking with because he has won us forgiveness. Let us believe this. It's all done. Forgiveness has been won. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this forgiveness. Thank you that all our sins can be washed away. Pray for us all today, whatever's on our hearts, whatever it is we're feeling guilty or shameful about, please, Lord, wash it clean by the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.